0: Psalm seventy-three. Uh, notice how it starts off. It says a uh, Psalm of Asaph, and Asaph's a, an individual that there, there's uh, quite a lot said about him in the Scripture, and yet it's someone that um, I don't think a lot of people are super familiar with him. Uh, he's talked a lot about in First and Second Chronicles, um, in, in uh, the Book of Ezra, um, in the Psalms. His name comes up in quite a few books of the Bible. We know from Second Chronicles chapter 20 that he's a Levite, and that's told to us in some other places as well. In First Chronicles, we get the account, and we get this also in Samuel, of David when he moved the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, the first time he moved it, they didn't, they didn't seek counsel from God. And uh, they moved it the way the Philistines were moving around, uh, because remember, in the, the day of Samuel, the people had brought it out, not at Samuel's, uh, you know, direction, but they had brought it out to a battle with the Philistines, thinking, oh, we're, we're going to win the battle, our hearts aren't right with God, but we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant out, and we're going to get victory, kind of like... You know, someone really not walking with the Lord, but their Bible's their good luck charm. You know, really, it doesn't work that way. And they got routed by the Philistines, and the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant. And then once they got the Ark of the Covenant, plagues broke out. And there's that awesome passage where it says they put it there in the temple of their god Dagon, which is the fish god. And they came in the next day, and the thing was on its face before the Ark of the Covenant. And then its hands were broken off. And then they played hot potato with the Ark of Covenant, where it's like we don't want it. And then the, the, they went to the next city, and they're like we don't want it. And finally, they put it on a cart, and they put two two cows that had just given birth, that were uh, you know needing to milk. And they said, "Look at if if we're not supposed to have it, they're going to take it all the way back to the land of Israel because cows normally wouldn't do that. They would you know need their to find their calf and so forth." And they carried it back there in israel and it seemed like from that time even at the time of david instead of going back to the scriptures they kept moving it the way the philistines did Uh, because god had given them instruction that the levites were supposed to move the ark of the covenant and it was something that was to be regarded with a high reverence because it was supposed to be in the holy of holies and it's the place where the lord would come down upon that mercy seat when the high priest went in once a year to make sacrifice for the people and so David wanted to move it after they they conquered Jerusalem. And the first time they moved it like the Philistines did, and they didn't have the Levites, remember, went and it started to fall over, and two men that weren't Levites put out their hand, and one of them touched the ark and they were struck, he was struck down dead. And it says, you know, because they had all this fanfare with it, they were excited about it, and the intention was good, but they went about it the wrong way. And it says that David was, was upset with the Lord over uh, even though it was really on him he didn't inquire of the lord and then they wouldn't they put it in the house of a guy named obed edom and it says that he prospered and, and his house was greatly blessed and it seems like somewhere between that first attempt at being in the house of obed edom that david got into the scriptures and we read in first chronicles 15 and we're, we're getting back to asaph here um, it says david built houses for himself in the city of david And he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched pitched a tent for it because there wasn't a temple yet, it was a tabernacle. And David said, uh, no one may carry the ark of God, but the Levites for the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God to minister before him forever. So the next time they did it the right way and the Levites moved it not on a cart, but instead with poles the way they were supposed to and they went six paces and they offered up sacrifice to God. And we read there uh, later in that chapter that Asaph he sounded the symbols before the Ark of the Covenant. He was part of the worship there. And, and so, listen, he was a symbol man there as they celebrated God and, and they worshiped the Lord on that day. And then we also read about Asaph uh, in First Chronicles that he was one of, and his family, his family was one of three families that were uh, responsible for the music and the song and the temple in the day of of David. And it wasn't just him. It was his whole family. He wasn't just called to ministry. His whole family was called to ministry. And and I don't think anything's changed in that. You know, God wants us to be not just individuals serving him, but, you know, he would have our whole family to serve him. And, you know, as a fellowship, not just individuals, but we would all serve after him. And then after the... uh, the captivity we know eventually Israel will go into captivity at the family of Asaph they they continued to worship the lord and when they came back after the babylonian captivity we read in the book of Ezra that when the the foundations of the temple were laid by the governor zerubbabel and it's where we read that when that happened some people wept and others rejoiced we read that 128 singers from the house of asaph so these are as like great great who knows how many great grandkids? Um, they they one hundred and twenty eight of them. They worship the Lord on that day, and I look at that and I marvel at this guy. This is a guy that made that the, that the Lord used to to make an impact, um, you know, on the nation of Israel. But I think maybe more importantly upon his family. And I look at this guy. I want to glean from this. This is an example that I want to learn from. Uh, in fact, we also read about there's 12 other psalms that are attributed to the family of asaph so this is a mighty man of god and a mighty family of god and yet there's really little said about him i don't hear his name come up a lot Uh, in fact i don't think i can ever recall any time in my walk with the lord where i've heard anyone say oh yeah then there was asaph and talked about man he had you know generations later 128 of his descendants Worship the lord when they laid the foundation for that temple or his whole family was one of the families responsible of worshiping you know at the lord there in the day of tabernacle uh or, or of of uh the the um you know of, of the tabernacle in, in the day of david and so forth so i kind of throw that out there for us to get a little familiar with with the man the lord moved on to write this psalm uh and um I think it helps us as we read it um you know to to glean from where he was and so forth, and I want to look at this because I look at this as a man who I want to learn from his walk with the Lord, because it would be my hope that that it's not just me serving the lord but but my whole family would serve the lord and if the Lord were to tarry and I were to have you know what grandchildren at some point or even great-grandchildren, that they would serve the Lord. Boy, there's a challenge in that today. I mean, the enemy's after us, and he's after our marriages, and he's after our kids and our grandkids. But there's nothing new underneath the sun. And so I think we really get a glimpse into Asaph's heart here and his humility and his honesty before the Lord because this is a psalm where, where he's really talking about the struggle he had when he considered the wicked and the prideful and those that shun God but still prospered in the world um, and and reasoning in that and saying boy here I am following the Lord and the Lord you know I get chastened sometimes and, and and I'm going through trials and tribulations and here's these people they shun God but they're prospering at every turn and he even talks about how it was and we'll get into it here how it was painful for him and he couldn't understand it and then we'll see a turning point in the psalm where he says but then i went sought after god and when i sought after god then sense came to all of it and 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 by the end this thing that was painful for him and so forth turns into a praise and in it you just see an honesty you see even him even confessing this before the lord and and uh you know, being in a place of really recognizing the difference between a temporary perspective and an eternal perspective. And then basically saying, you know what, I would, I would basically imply I would rather walk with the Lord with nothing, knowing my God is with me, not only here on earth, but in in, in heaven when I pass, than to walk in, in these, with these trophies and this pride that's all going to burn. You know, the line, you know, along the lines of Jesus where he said, what's a prophet a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So let's dive into it here. It says in verse one, truly God is good to Israel to such as are pure or clean in heart. And he starts off right here with a, a truth throughout scripture that God has been and God is good to Israel. And I like to talk about Israel when it comes up in the scripture because this is pertinent to today and what's going on in the world today in the Middle East today. And we know Israel really started with God calling Abraham out of Ur the Chaldeans as a, as an older man and saying, I'm gonna you know, raise up a nation through you. And you know, and Israel entering into a, a covenant with God that through her God would bring forth the Messiah. And we read there in Genesis 12 where the Lord basically says, Whoever blesses you, I'm gonna bless. Whoever curses you, I'm gonna curse. And through you, all the families of of uh, the nations or of the earth shall be blessed. And absolutely, you know, what, God was faithful to Israel, even despite her and her wayward ways at times, and stiff, you know, neck, uh, you know, behaviors and hard attitudes. And yet, He used her to bring forth the Savior of the world, Jesus. You know, a, a Jew, Jesus of the tribe of Judah, of the lineage of of David. And tonight. Listen, we're blessed because God blessed Israel and brought forth the Savior. And listen, he's good to Israel because even after the bulk of Israel even rejected the Lord, a remnant still believed, and he still kept her as a people, and we talk about it all the time. In these last days, he's regathered her together. Now, only a small percentage of, of Jews have come to faith in Jesus, but we know the days coming you know what, and we read about it in, in Romans, we read these things in Revelation, when all of Israel is going to be saved. And I would say absolutely, as we look at the scriptures, that God is good to Israel. And, you know, it's awesome tonight that, um, you know, when, when we have faith in Jesus Christ, that, you know, the Bible declares that we're sons and daughters of Abraham. And we're in that place where spiritually, you could say we are, spiritually part of Israel in the sense that listen Israel was Israel because Abraham believed it's because he believed God and then God counted it righteous and in this as it says God's uh, truly God is good to Israel absolutely we can stand and and declare that God is good to us too can we say amen to that he's just a good God to us he's so good to us and then he says as well here to such who are pure or clean in heart And and that's an interesting statement here. God is good to those who are pure in heart. And I think we should ask the question, you know, well, what is it to be pure in heart? Is this just talking about, you know, those that have faith in the Lord and they're in a place where, you know, now positionally they're right with God, saved by grace through faith? Um, Listen, that's absolutely part of it, I would say. But practically, we can be in that place where we're we're saved, we have salvation, but we're not walking in a purity of heart. And I think if we're really going to be honest with ourselves, you know, are, are we ever in that place where we're like, okay, today, right now, I'm pure in heart? And that might be the most impure of heart we are when we're in that place. So, you know, do we ask the question are those that are pure in heart, is it someone with, you know, no practical sin or no struggle or no issues? And I would have to say no because no one would qualify in that if, if, we're, if we're going to be truthful about it. At least no one that I've encountered. And as I read the scripture, I, 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 I see God being faithful to complete a good work in us until that day we go to be home with it. And I, I I really believe biblically what he's talking here about is, is folks that are being honest with God. You know, they're not trying to hide things from the Lord. Uh, the scripture says a humble and contrite heart, the Lord won't refuse. So someone that's saying, Lord, I love you. And I got these issues that I'm wrestling with. And and I want to bring that before you. I want to be an open book before you. Someone that's sincerely wanting to walk with the Lord versus being in a place where they know the Lord, but they're knowingly harboring you know what uh sin or bitterness or making provision for that that's almost like h and when he hid the gold in his tent you know he's an israelite when they came out of um you know the the wilderness and went into jericho remember he hid that and he was in a place where listen he was an israelite but but there was an impurity in his tent that he knew about and, and god told him not to take any of that gold and he did it anyway um Biblically, you know what, I see that in scripture. In James 4, 7, it says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And then it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So to have a purified heart, I got to be in a place where I want to be submitted to God. Where it's a thing where practically, I I, want to submit to him. And really, that's the only way I know to resist the devil, is to submit to God. Um. Not, not me. You know. Okay, devil, let's box. You know. No, I, I, I need to submit to God, and and want to draw near to God. And then the cleansing of the hands is is as I draw near to God. I'm, I'm confessing before Him. I'm saying, Lord, here I am. Here is my struggle. It's kind of like David's prayer in Psalm fifty one ten. He said, "Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me." I think a Psalm, I think it's 139, where he says, search me, O God, and know me, and try me, and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there's any hurtful way in me, and if there is, remove it, leave me in the everlasting way. That's someone being honest with the Lord. I'm a knucklehead, Lord, and I need your help. Um, you know, fill in knucklehead or whatever, you know, w- w- whatever you want to, you know, th- that describes what I need you. And God, I want to be honest with you. And God, I got this struggle and I don't want to hide it from you. I, I, want to be, I want to be honest with you, Lord. And I need your help. And maybe it's even a place where you're like, Lord, I know I need to lay this down. And my flesh has got a grip on me right now that's wanting to hold on to it. And so instead of hiding that to you, I want to come before you and be truthful with you. And, and say, I need help in getting an unction to lay this down. Let, let me see the nastiness of this and the harm of it and the fact it doesn't glorify you to help. To help ask for your help in it. Um, the lord knows we're but dust do you know that he he knows we're flesh he knows that we need uh, need a redeemer he knows we need an intercessor he knows we need a savior and i I just believe biblically and i've seen it in my life he responds when when i'm truthful with them in that and i'm and i'm not you know what trying to play games with them um so again there's good things that come out of that I found that practically in my life. When I'm honest with God, good things come out of it. And when I try to play games with God, the the results aren't so good. Now, God's faithful to us. And, and, you know, he's faithful to correct and chase after us. But, oh, man, isn't isn't obedience so much better than sacrifice? Verse 2, he says, But as for me, my feet almost stumbled... And my steps had nearly slipped. And so he says here, God's good to Israel and God's good to those that are pure and hard. But as for me, I almost stumbled and I nearly slipped. And it's basically Asaph saying, I wasn't walking in a purity of heart. I was in a place where I almost stumbled and I almost slipped. And we'll see here in a minute, it was because he became envious of the boastful. And he became envious of the world. And he sought after, you know what, and, and, and wrestled with things outside of bringing it before the Lord. And it seems, you know what, in the scripture here that it, it, it caused pain in his heart. And it, it brought, um, you know what, uh, 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 um, what's the right word I'm looking for here? It, 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 it quenched, it quenched the, the, the joy of the Lord in his life versus that goodness of walking with him. And abiding in him. Now, I would I would argue that the fact that he's admitting to the fact, but as for me, shows that he's a guy that's honest with God and has a purity of heart. And that he was willing to admit this. You know, he was willing to say, I had a struggle here, and he didn't hide it from the Lord, or eventually he brought it to God. And that's just a good place to be. And so now he goes into what almost stumbled him and what nearly slipped him up. He says, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so he's making a confession here and, you know what, being truthful before the Lord. And you know what's beautiful? The scripture tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Isn't that a good thing? And so he's being truthful about this. I got into a place where I almost got stumbled. I almost got slipped up. I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, and he's he's bringing it, and he's confessing it before God, and obviously the Lord saw fit for this to be penned as Scripture because this is something that it's easy to struggle with. It's easy to be in a place where you're envious of the boastful, where you see the prosperity of the wicked, of people shunning God, and you like step back and go, wait a minute, what's going on here? This person doesn't acknowledge God, and we'll see as he describes this, he starts about people who curse God, who shake their fist at God, and yet it seems like in this world they're prospering despite them rejecting God. You know anyone like that? you see anything like that? I think you look at a lot of the maybe you would call them men of renown today, people of renown of you know what the the people the kind of world holds up as these are kind of our role models and the power brokers and so forth, the good majority of them shake their fists at God. They mock God. It seems like at every turn they almost fall back into backwards into prosperity, you know? <laughs> And it's easy to look at that and, and be in a place where you're envious of what they have and begin to wrestle and go, well, listen, why are they abounding like that when they're so hostile towards God and they're, they're so wicked in their behavior and in their actions? And it's easy, again, to, to get baited by that and to, to, to move from that place of knowing I'm here to, to serve the Lord. There's no greater call than that. And with serving the Lord, there's going to be some trials. There's going to be some persecutions. There's going to be some difficulties. You know what? I might be in a place where I'm completely abased. But listen, that's a life lived. That's a valued life. That's a life that's going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I'm not here to stack up, you know what, uh, accolades and things that are going to pass away. I'm here to live for his glory. Now, if along the way, the Lord blesses me with material things or whatever i want to thank him for that i don't need to be ashamed of that i want to be a good steward of that absolutely the bible speaks about seeking him first and then providing our needs and we can bring our needs before him and we can cast all our cares upon him that's different though than being in a place of just striving for the things the world strives over that are going to pass and so we got to make sure we don't fall into that place we don't get baited into that place where we're you know, caught up in an arm race uh, for things that are just going to burn away as if they're eternal because they're going to pass. We got to remember verses like 1 John 2, 15, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the father, but as the world and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. This is going to pass away. Now, he, he does, it's, it's that thing of, listen, money is not evil. It's the love of money that's the root of evil. So he's talking about the love in the sense of loving that more than God and pursuing after these things, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. And that's most of our world today. That, that, that's what this world tries to indoctrinate people in and when i say the world that's that's a term for the spirit of the age the prince of the power of the air to make your life about going after the lust of your flesh what your eyes are seeing you know that kind of term uh if it feels good do it follow your heart don't follow your heart follow the word of god (laughs) heart gets you in a lot a lot of trouble the scriptures is the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things now, it also says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desire of your heart. Why? Because you're putting the Lord first. And you're saying, Lord, line my heart up with you with what you would have for me. Also, we need to remember, listen, when these temptations come along, we got to remember, you know what, what spirit drives envy and the fruit that it produces. James three fourteen through 16 says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. So don't hide it from God. If you got bitter envy, maybe, again, it's, it's with people in the world. Maybe you got bitter envy towards a brother and sister in the Lord. I've known people that get bitter envy towards other ministries. Oh, Lord, you're blessing their ministries and are struggling over here, and you get a bitter envy towards them. He says, don't lie about that. Don't, don't you know what, boast and and you know what seek after yourself to say well i'm gonna i'm gonna build myself up in my boastful tongue he says don't lie against the truth be honest with god that purity of heart is honesty with god and then he says this wisdom does not descend from above notice here it's earthly sensual if that's not a bad enough then it says demonic listen satan drives a spirit of envy he absolutely does and then it says, for where, there, where there's envy and self-seeking, where those exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. I don't want confusion in my life. I don't, want every, I, man, I don't want evil things there. I don't want to be you know, influenced by the demonic. And so the answer here is kind of what Asaph is, is, is doing, and what we're being told in James, don't lie against the truth. Be honest with God about it. Lord, I got a a bitter envy in my heart. I got a self-seeking spirit. I've come to places in my life where the Lord revealed to me that I had bitter envy in my heart or a self-seeking spirit. It's happened to me on multiple occasions. And the Lord gave me this verse a number of years ago that brought a liberty to my life because I'm like, I, I, I know I need to lay this down and I couldn't lay it down myself. And you know what enabled me to lay it down? This scripture right here. Saying, Lord, I got bitter envy. I don't want bitter envy. I don't want a self-seeking spirit, Lord. And, and I'm not going to lie and say that I don't have that when I know that I have it. So deliver me from it, Lord. And amazingly, amazingly, there was a deliverance that came out of it. Now, I want to be careful in that and say, and say, and I have never envied since then, and I'm proud of that. I don't want to be careful in that. I'm giving God the glory and, and talking about, taking our thoughts captive in the power of the word of god that's part of spiritual warfare standing in the word of god and i can encourage you enough tonight if you if you're struggling with bitter envy and you're self-seeking because that's what it is you're envious of what they have and you want to be prompted up above them or you want what they have be honest with god with it number one and get the scripture in your heart and say god deliver me from this because what he has for you is so much better listen, when you walk in that, it's going to suck your joy. It's going to take away your peace. It's going to bring a confusion. Those aren't good things. Does anyone want those things? I didn't hear anyone saying amen that I want those things tonight. I want to walk in that liberty that we have in Christ, don't you? And that joy of the Lord. Now, four through nine, I'm going to read through it pretty quick. He, He brings a description of how these people are that that are boastful and that are prospering, you know what, even in shunning the Lord. He says, For there are no pains in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not troubled as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. So again, it's a a picture of a pride. It's a picture of, you know, an abundance despite oppressing others. And despite a mouth that speaks against heaven. They got an antichrist mouth. The book of Daniel talks about the Antichrist having a boastful tongue uh, against God and the children of God, and yet despite that, their tongue walks to the earth and and they flourish and they abound. And I ran into and, and talked to more than one believer that they wrestle with this, and they're like, "Why are they prospering though they though they they you know they they shun God and and they're so Antichrist?" And I think it's a description of. of a lot of what's in the world today, uh, again, a lot of, of, of powerful people in the world are people that, that shun the Lord. And there's a spiritual reason for that. The spiritual reason is the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. When man sinned in the, in the garden, he gave dominion over to Satan. And, and, and it's kind of like he gave the keys of the car. Now, praise God, Jesus took those keys back at the cross of Calvary. And he's allowing the enemy for, you know what, a short season to continue on. But that's going to be wound down here really, really soon. Verse 10, he says, therefore, his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is their knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the ungodly who always are at ease and increase in riches so this speaks again of them oppressing oppressing others and listen draining others cups and then it speaks of them again being a place of just saying you know what god doesn't know what we're doing not having a knowledge of the most high that god does know what you are doing and being at ease versus having a fear of god that they are going to be judged one day they have no fear of god they don't consider their ladder in they don't consider the fact that even god's kindness is meant to bring them to repentance instead of thanking god for what they have they use it to shake their fist at god and to oppress others verse 13 he says surely i have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. So again, now he's still reasoning outside of seeking God here. And he's basically saying, I've cleansed my heart in vain or I'm walking with God in vain because I'm being plagued and chastened as I'm seeking God while these people are rejecting God and they're prospering. So he's saying this serving God over, it's been a vain thing. Because what's come of it, I've been plagued and I've been chastened. You ever been plagued and chastened as a follower of Christ? I have many times. The Bible says those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus said in the world you 're going to have tribulation, and the reason for that listen god 's more concerned with your character than your comfort. he you don 't want a bunch of pamper wearing baby christians he says we're going to the gym son we're going to grow you we're going to grow you spiritually there could be some plagues that come your way but through that you're going to see my faithfulness your faith is going to grow and there's going to be some times that i correct you because i love you and i care about you but he's in a place where again he's reasoning he says they're prospering and i'm over here And sadly, listen, this is where a lot of folks get to this place, and it's a really test of their faith. And I think of the parable of the sowers where certain seeds fall on certain grounds, and then they get choked out by the cares of the world or some persecutions. And they just say, I'm not signed up for this, man. What the world has to offer is so much better. I'm going to go after the lusts of my, my eyes, the lusts of my flesh, the pride of life. This... This this difficulty of walking with the Lord, I don't want that. Verse 15, he says, if I had said I will speak thus, behold, I, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. So he says, this is what I saw and this is what I felt. And if I would have spoke this out, I would have been misrepresenting the truth. Deep down, it's almost implying he knew that it was an illusion. He wrestled with it, and it's like he's saying, praise God, I never went out and started preaching this. Verse 16, he says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. I just love his honesty, don't you? It's refreshing. He's just being truthful. He ain't being a guy like, oh, I'm so spiritual. I never think about that stuff. He's like, I had a painful season here. Because I saw these God-haters prospering while I'm over here getting afflicted as a follower of the Lord. And, and I'm in a place like, what, this is a vain, what am I doing here serving God's vain? They're prospering and I'm, I'm getting beat up over here? It was painful for them. Look at verse 17. If you got a pen, circle it in your Bible. Until, until I went into the sanctuary of God then I understood their end. Then I stepped back and got a biblical perspective. I got an eternal perspective. I got a, you know what, a perspective of reality. Then I saw things as they really are. I understood their end. I understood that, hey, they're, 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 they're pro- is right here. It's like they're prospering, but they're, there's an edge that they're about to fall off unless they repent well i'm over here and i'm a road i'm i i i got a bridge unto glory over here and this road looks a whole lot more difficult but this one ends in a disaster here verse 18 he says surely you set them in slippery places you cast them down to destruction oh how they are brought to desolation as in a moment They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So the Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. He's looking at the eternal, you know, the the, the eternal consequences now. Listen, you can only walk in a slippery place so long before you slip and fall. You might get away with it for a long time, but eventually you're going to slip and fall. And that's, you know what? What's being told to us here. They're going to go and go and go and go. Then in a moment, in a moment, they're going to be consumed with terrors. When the Lord awakes, it's not that the Lord's sleeping on them. But they're sleeping on the Lord. And that day is going to come when they are judged. And it says God's going to despise their image. Why? Because they're not identified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he speaks here again of of a, a destruction, a desolation that is going to come upon him. And you see examples of this in the Bible. We read about the guy that was wealthy, and you know what, he built barns and so forth. And and what am I going to do now? I'm going to tear down the old barns and build new barns. And he basically talks to himself, Oh soul, it's good with you. It's good with my soul. It's like, it's funny. He's talking to himself. And then the Lord says, You fool, did you not know that tonight your soul will be required of you? And think about that, a life lived in rebellion against God. A life lived just seeking after the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And then being in a place where you just prosper. And there's some people, they just prosper in it. I think one of the greatest things that can happen at times to folks is that they get knocked down and it causes them to step back and go, you know, wait a minute. And I think sometimes, and this is just my thought, maybe I'm wrong in it, the difference between those that continue to abound in their prosperity versus those that they slip so they can consider is oftentimes the prayer of God's people for those folks. We shouldn't be getting envious for them. We should be praying for their souls and recognize that though they are wealthy, they are utterly impoverished and we are wealthy and rich in the lord jesus christ we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies i have a i have a massive inheritance that is mine in glory plus i got the confidence that the lord will supply all my needs and i have availability to the joy of the lord every single day as paul said whether i'm a base or abounding i can do all things through christ who strengthens me verse 21 he says Thus, my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. I love Asaph. He's just saying, he's saying here, I'm grieved. I'm grieved that I got baited by this. I'm grieved. I'm vexed over it that I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast. A beast just does what a beast does. It follows its natural instincts. That's not supposed to be us. Our school system today teaches our children, for the most part, to be like beasts. Follow your gut. You're a biological male, but if you feel like you're a little girl, then follow that. That's child abuse, is what that is. That's demonic and evil. It's wicked, and yet it's being coached up like a beast. We are not. We are not beasts. We're called to have self-control. Amen. Verse 23. So he's lamenting over taking the bait. But I love verse 23. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. And it's like, but I rejoice in the grace of God. I rejoice that my God is faithful, even in the midst of my wrestling and struggling with this. Aren't you glad that God doesn't forsake you when you get caught up in that bait of envy? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I'm with you continually. You hold me by my right hand. And remember how he started? I almost slipped. I almost stumbled. Well, why didn't he fully? God had hold of his hand, you know, (laughs) I think of a parent where the kids aren't to slip, and he just picks them up over the puddle or whatnot, you know. And I will guide, and, and you will guide me. Notice here with your. Let's get the counsel of God with your counsel. Don't lean on your own understanding with this. Amen. Get a biblical perspective, and then envy turns into in, in, into you know a, a, a sorrow for these folks. We should be grieved for these folks we should be praying for them and he says afterward you'll receive me to glory so again he he's comparing yeah these these folks have this but they're shedding god and if they continue in it they're in destruction i know the lord i know where i'm going listen our time here is as a vapor as a shadow eternity lasts forever Amen. souls last forever verse 25 he says whom i whom have i in heaven but you and there is none upon earth that i desire desire besides you i got you in heaven and i got you on earth there's nothing that's greater than that and you know what's glorious about that is listen the world can take everything from you but you know what they can't take from you the lord jesus christ I think of Romans where he says, what can separate us from the love of God? Neither height nor depth, powers and principalities. Goes through that whole list. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's a glorious thing. I fail, but God is my strength and my portion For indeed, verse 27 those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. In other words, saying, I don't want God. I'm going to play the harlot with all these other idols, all this stuff, all these things. And finally 28, but it is good for me to draw near to God. Remember about go back to James. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. And and, and what a glorious life that is. To know the Lord, to know we're in the Lord's hands, to take counsel from God to know our trust is in the Lord. What a privilege we have. Listen, it's a privilege to be a people with the good news, to to, to be commissioned to share that with others. That's a glorious thing. There's no no greater cause in the world than to live for the cause of Christ. There's no higher calling, do you know that? There's no greater calling than to be a people called to do the work of an evangelist, to be a people called to worship God and to be a people of prayer and to walk in the gifts and talents that he has given to us because all this other stuff's going to burn and fade. It just is. Well, Lord God, we praise you tonight. We thank you for your word, God. Oh, Lord God, I would hope and pray, God, that, that, that this passage, God, would, Lord, just, just uh, God, be a word that, that just helps us immensely, God. Um, Lord, there are so many temptations to walk in bitterness and envy and to be self-seeking. And Lord, when we shun your counsel, Lord, our flesh just, it it goes that way. And so I just hope and pray tonight, God, that liberty has been brought, Lord, to some souls here tonight. God, that these truths can be before us, that when the temptation comes to walk in those things, those temptations can be put down through, Lord, walking in the word of God and in your truth. And, Lord, um, God, I pray, God, that we'd be a people who are quick to seek your counsel. Help us to have a biblical perspective, an eternal perspective, God, while we're here on this earth, Lord. And to as well rejoice in, God, the knowledge that, that we know in Christ Jesus, the great future that's before us, and the fact that you're with us right now. And as we close here tonight, listen, if you haven't called upon the name of Jesus Christ, today's the day of salvation. <coughs> Call on Him tonight. Be truthful with Him tonight. Ask Him to forgive you tonight, to be your Lord. He'll meet you right where you're at. He absolutely will. He wants to save you. The Scripture tells us that whoever, that's everybody, that's anybody. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's saying, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I'm turning from what my Lord is, and I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. And you'll enter into salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and him alone. He's so good. Lord, bless the rest of our evening. We, we thank you for this time, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.